1: Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're so glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministry is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer for you today is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God designed you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd.
2: start in chapter 2 of Colossians today, and we're going to make an attempt to get from verse 1 to verse 3, but as we always say, thy will be done. I'm going to read for you those verses, starting in Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 out of the Amplified. For I want you to know how great is my solicitude for you. How severe an inward struggle I'm engaged in for you for, and for those believers in Laodicea and for all who, like yourselves, have never seen my face and known me personally. For my concern is that their hearts may be braced comforted, cheered, and encouraged as they are knit together in love that they may come to know all the abounding wealth and blessings and assured conviction of understanding and that they may become progressively more intimately acquainted with and may know definitely and accurately and thoroughly the mystic secret of God which is Christ, the Anointed One. In him, all treasures of divine wisdom, comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God, and all the riches of spiritual knowledge and enlightenment are stored up and hidden. When we ended chapter 1, Paul was making clear the emphasis of his message as an apostle. It was a person of Christ. In verse 27 of chapter 1, as we've made mention before, he says, Paul declares that the hope of glory for every child of God is in the Christ in you. Now, what he's doing in this is that he's combating the heretical teachings of the Gnostics and others who would teach them that it's all about what they can acquire from without, what they can bring into themselves, what they may do for themselves, that gives them a relationship with the Lord. It's about what man may do that gives them a relationship with the Lord. And he says, no, there's no hope in that. There's no hope in that. Your hope for glory, what is glory? Glory is the manifestation of the presence of God. You cannot have glory apart from God. In order for glory to exist, God must be there because it is part of who He is. It is the manifestation of His very person. So the hope for you to be a part of, to enter into, to participate in the very work and presence of God, your only hope for that is the Christ in you. It's not in what you do. It's not in what you know. It's not in how you do it. It's in the Christ in you, in participation in His life, that you will know the glory of God. It's your only hope. This is a statement that should destroy every man-based approach to God. It was the person of Christ in verse 27 of chapter 1. No external work that gives glory unless it's the work of Christ in you. Did you hear that? No external work gives glory unless it's the work of the Christ in you. That works against a lot of what we hear in religion. This is the person of Christ bringing about the manifestation of the glory of God as he fulfills the Father's will in you. You see, the basis of Paul's ministry was the person of Christ expressing the glory of God through Paul's yielded soul. That's the basis of his ministry. It is the work of Christ expressing the glory and will of God through Paul. Now this is not some this Paul calls this the mystery. But for you and I, it is the life. It is the practice of how we live as Christians. It, you can make it, and the, the enemy would like for you to think of it as being something that's very ethereal, very mystical. You know, uh, that it's something that that operates outside the realm of normality. But what I am telling you, that for the Christian, this is normal. This is Life. It is Christ being expressed through your soul. The word in Ephesians says, Be ye not drunk with wine, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. What is he filling if our spirits are already in union with him? He is filling your soul, and it means to be continually filled. That is to be continually yielded to the presence and the person and the power of Christ in your mind, will, and emotions. That's what he's talking about. This is normal living. This is not coming to church and getting recharged. This is not about you getting recharged here and there and then going for a little while, running out of gas, getting recharged again. What this is, is the Spirit of God making its home in your soul. And let me tell you something, there's consequences for not allowing that to happen. When you shut that door, the, the door between your spirit in union with His Spirit and your soul, when you decide that your mind, will, and emotion will try to attain its own balance, the vacuum of the soul pulls in the balance of this world, and that's no balance at all. You want to know why there's so much dysfunction, even in the Christian life? Because we have been empowered with the truth, but we shut the door to it. So we do not know the truth which is an intimate understanding based on relationship and based on experience. We do not know the truth which is a person and the truth therefore does not set us free. We operate to externals. We operate to what we can get to secure our lives. We operate with the same definitions that the world operates with. And we say this is security and this is peace and this is hope and this is happiness all based on what the world tells us it is. And God says no. You want to know what hope is? You want to know what happiness is? You want to know what balance is? You want to know what security is? You want to know what health is? You want to know what vibrance is? It is the hope of glory. It is Christ in you and nothing else. Nothing else. There is no other source. It's not a Christ plus option. It's just Christ in you. Paul moves along. And he says, for that very reason, for that very reason, it's Him we preach. Verses 28 and 29, the close of chapter 1. It's Him we preach. Now, he's making it very clear. I'm not preaching a doctrine here. I'm not preaching just some some word that I read. I'm preaching the person of Christ. Now, listen. If you walk out of here with just a doctrine, if you walk out of here with just an understanding, if you walk out of here just knowing about, you will have no more balance than the lost man out there. Because it's still you, in your wisdom, trying to make the world work. But he says, it is him, the person of Christ that we preach. That is the relationship we're talking about here. We don't preach anything else. It is the answer. The answer is not in what you know. The answer is in the Christ in you. It's Jesus. Then we move to chapter 2. Chapter 2 is that unfortunate inclusion by theologians that's really not inspired, but just seemed like a logical place to put chapter 2. But the bottom line is that the message that Paul is speaking through this letter, through the Holy Spirit, is seamless. There should be no division between verse 29 in chapter 1 and verse 1 of chapter 2. I want you to kind of shut that out of your mind. Because the thought that Paul is continuing in chapter 2 is seamless with the thought that he ended with in chapter 1. Verses 28 and 29, Paul says, Him we preach, it's the person of Christ in you, it's the person of Christ that we preach. And basically he says, I want you to live in the maturity of faith in the person of Christ. That is the Christ within you. This is the faith that will mature you. You want to know how we mature in Christ? That's it. Then, chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know... How great is my solicitude for you. How severe, how severe an inward struggle I'm engaged in for you. And for those believers in Laodicea. And for all who, like yourselves, have never seen my face and known me personally. Listen. Paul's not trying to impress a group of strangers with his concern for them. That's not what Paul's doing. He's not trying to impress them with his personal concern. What Paul is doing is he's giving personal testimony to what God has put in his heart. He is letting them know that his connection with them is the passion of the Father's heart. It is who he is in Christ that connects them. Paul's not trying to seek in his expression. He's not trying to impress them, nor in this is he trying to draw out through prayer an uninterested God to the need of the Colossians. He's not begging God to get interested in the Colossian situation. When he says that I am in a struggle before God, what he is saying is that my soul is in conflict as I seek to uplift the truth before the Father, as I seek to lift the Colossians up before the Father, as I seek to intercede for them, my soul is in conflict. There's a struggle going on. Well, what's he in conflict with? Who's he struggling with? What's the problem? I mean, the man is in chains. I'll tell you what part of the conflict is. It's the conflict of the soul. It's the conflict of the soul. It is the soul trying to balance what he sees before him and the need that he knows is occurring. God has placed in Paul's heart this passion for the Colossians. God has placed in his heart this urgency of the need of the Colossians. God has placed in his heart all of the concerns, maybe maybe not all because Paul's soul couldn't contain it, but all that he could contain in concern for the Colossian people because of the heretics that were in the church. God has put in Paul's heart a passion for the Colossians. Now, in the timing beautiful. I'm going to open your heart. I'm going to pour in there my heart. And my heart is for a people that you've never seen at a time when you're in chains and have no possible capacity to affect their condition. Isn't that interesting? Now, we know God would never do that, right? I mean, God would never ever put something in your heart and not give you any way to get in there and get her done. God wouldn't do that, would he? Hmm? Yeah, he would. Because listen, look at Paul's prayer here. And what you're going to see is that Paul is not complaining before him. He is praying the heart of the Father. And in that prayer, he is saying, Father, you are the only answer. He's saying to the Colossians, the Christ in you is the only answer. If Paul thought he could answer it, he would not be saying, you need to look to the Jesus within. That's your hope. Now, if he was praying out of his flesh, you know what he'd be saying? Oh Lord, you need to get me out of prison. If only I could be there. If only I could be there. The shoulda, woulda, coulda. You know, if I'd been there, well, if if I had done it, Well, Lord, if you would just get me out of prison, I could go down there and take care of that. That's not the way God works. Paul knows that. What Paul knows is that God is sharing his heart to Paul in order that Paul may participate in what God is going to do through the Spirit of God. Not through his work, but through the Spirit of God. What Paul is revealing is the struggle of focus. The struggle of holding them up in prayer against the distractions of his circumstances and the lies and the deceptions of the enemy. Yes, even for Paul it's a struggle. God is allowing the urgency of the Colossians' need and his passion for them to grip Paul's soul at a time when Paul is completely unable to do anything with it except to commend it to the Father. Is it any wonder... That he says, Christ in you is a hope of glory. Is it any wonder, doesn't it make sense now that he would make that statement? Paul is not praying out of his humanity. He's praying out of his intimacy with the Father. And here's the other thing. Do not think that the enemy would not try to fill Paul's soul with despair and hopelessness. You know, the enemy would be working in him to take his eyes off Jesus and put it on the troubled sea around him. To take his eyes off Jesus and see the chains that keep him from moving. See the guards that would not release him. See the inequity of his situation. See the injustice of where he is. See that he is the need, there is a need to which he has an answer. That's what the enemy would be telling him. That's what he tells me. You have an answer, but you can't give it. If only you could have been there. That's what he's working in Paul, trying to work in Paul. And Paul understands the distraction. Paul understands that the enemy is trying to draw him away, and it is a struggle. You know, you know how much it is a struggle to put your focus on Jesus and keep it there. It's that choice that you make in the middle of difficult circumstances, isn't it? When everything is going south, you lift the thing before the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, I will focus on You. You will be my life in this. You will be my hope in this. You will be my desire in this. I will not sit here and stare at this circumstance. I will put my hope and trust in You. How easy is that? Is there a little struggle that goes on in the soul? The mind, will, and emotions. Emotions are completely south. They're so far south, they're eating enchiladas. They, they have completely gone. You can't pull them back. The mind immediately wants to gravitate to all of the problems and all of the people who are just making the problems worse. And the whale wants to climb in in the middle and the Spirit of God whispers to you and He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. At that point we make a choice. We can fling open the door, the abiding door from spirit to soul and ask the Spirit of God to usher in and cleanse the soul and bring balance to our understanding and put our focus upon Him that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit not with the wine of this world, the deception, the delusion At that point, Paul is struggling. But here's the thing. Let me tell you something about that. The enemy can never take away man's ability to choose truth. The enemy can never take away man's ability to choose truth because that's given of God and is not limited to circumstance or man's understanding. Those Colossians, and Paul knew this, those Colossians at any time, no matter how eloquent the heretics might have been, no matter how studied they may have been, no matter how powerful they may have been in their argument, those Colossians at any time by faith can choose the truth. At any time, in the midst of any situation, in any circumstance that you're going through in life, anything that has brought troubles to the soul, brought conflict, and brought imbalance to your life, you can stop there and you can say, You know what? Jesus, I choose you. I choose your balance. I choose, basically you say, thy will be done. I am tired of choosing the end of every scenario for myself. I'm tired of making the judgment that this would be good for me and this would be bad for me and this is what I need. I am not God. I am but a man who was made and designed by God to be led by Him in every situation. And He says, this is good. Take and eat. I will choose Him. And it might be the bread of sorrow. And it might be the path of suffering. But it is His path and His bread that I was made for. Nothing else suits me. What I'm explaining to you is really related to a verse I used last week, Revelation 3.20. Every man has the opportunity. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears and listens to me, listens to and heeds my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he will eat with me. Now everybody says, "Well, yeah, that's true of salvation." But after that, what happens after that? There's a door that it stands between the truth of who you are and your soul's perceptions. Jesus is in union with your spirit, and He knocks upon the door of your soul. And at that point, you make a choice because the soul's going to be filled with something. And it will be filled with the longings of this world, the appetites of this world, the identities of this world. It will be filled with the hopes of this world and the dreams of this world. It will be filled, as a vacuum is always filled, with what is without rather than what is within. But you are a child of God. You are to fling open the door and allow the Spirit of God and the presence of Christ to come through your soul, which was designed to be a temple of worship and throw over the money changers' tables, and toss out everything that would exchange truth for lie, and allow you to worship, once again, to behave in the way that you were created to be. Jesus stands at the door, the soul's door, that we may receive his filling and his nurture. This conflict of the soul, this struggling with the soul, is not a sign of carnality, necessarily. It's not a sign of sin, necessarily. Even Paul had that struggle. But I'm going to tell you about another person who had that struggle. Jesus. That's right. Jesus. Matthew 26, 38. Then he said to them, My soul is very sad and deeply grieved, so that I am almost dying of sorrow. Stay here and keep awake and keep watch with me. This struggle does not mean you are sinful, but it is a moment-by-moment decision to decide to pray what Jesus prayed. Thy will be done. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. There was a conflict in the soul of our Savior as all of the circumstances that surrounded him Many circumstances that he would die, that he would be separated from the ones that he loved, that he would not be able to bring it all to a conclusion at that time. All of those things would hit his soul. All of those things would enter into his humanity, into the natural reason of man. And immediately he had to make a choice to either embrace that or embrace the truth that it wasn't his will that was to be done. It was the Father's will that was to be done. And he had to understand and know and grasp and manifest in his own life and soul the truth that God is sovereign and that he is loved and that his plan is perfect and that Jesus came to this earth to fulfill that plan regardless of what the externals may have told him regardless of what everything around him may speak to him Jesus walked a determined path to know his father's will and to manifest it and he did it as a man that's how we know the conflict of the soul was there wrestling with the issues of distraction. Paul was wrestling with the issues of of his inability to help. But all the while, Paul knew the only answer, the only hope to that situation was the Christ in them. Let the struggle be the revelation of the Christ within and say, Thy will be done. We need to choose to be filled with Him. You know, First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of the eternal life to which you were summoned and for which you confess the good confession of faith before many witnesses. You know what that fight is about? It's not about your doing, it's about your choosing. We must choose first that His will be done. He will empower you for obedience through His life. But apart from Him, you can do nothing. Nothing. Fight the good fight is choosing to live by faith, apprehending by faith the reality of your identity in Christ and of His presence in you.
1: Thank you for joining us today for His Life Revealed, the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship. We hope today's message has encouraged you to yield to His life in every situation. Rest in His life moment by moment, and receive from His life all that you need to show Christ in this world. To get to know us better, visit us on the web at hislifefellowship.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. And join us for worship services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 7015 Wurzbach Road. If this message has blessed you, you can help support this program with your gift to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 781-529, San Antonio, Texas, Seven eight two seven eight. And now, before we go, our prayer for you this coming week is that the image of the invisible God would be visible in you and that you would remember that wherever you go, whatever you do, the hope of glory is Christ in you.